His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God in eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, we need to play a little game here. There's some new folks, and uh, uh, we want to play a little game. I want to introduce you to myself to give some small facts, if you will. So we're going to play a game that's called Four Lies and the Truth. And you're going to get the opportunity to see how much you know about your uh, parson here. So this requires discernment because there are four lies and the truth. Got it? Four lies and the truth. Okay, number one, I am amphibious. It's true. Look at my ginormous wingspan. And I actually spend half of my time in our pool. You thought the pool was for the kids. No, I'm actually there swimming around. And then I'm off. So half water, half I am amphibious. Okay? Number two, I have piloted a plane. In fact, a World War II plane. And done some limited acrobatics in it. Number three, I have hung out with the number two tennis player in the world. In fact, I took a private flight with him. Number four, I have performed a circumcision. You know, religious people, they do that thing all the time. So that could be plausible, right? Uh, number five, I sleep in a chair. I don't like to tell anyone that, but this is an opportunity to know. So five choices, amphibious, piloted a plane, uh, took a private uh, flight with the ten number two tennis player in the world, have performed a circumcision, I sleep in a chair. Which one is true? Five. Two. If you think it's number one, amphibious, raise your hand. Come on, people. Number two, piloted a plane. <laughs> Hung out with the number two tennis player in the world. Whoa. I performed a circumcision. <laughs> I swim in a chair. There we go. The answer is I have piloted a plane. I had wow. a buddy who I had a World War II steerman open cockpit biplane, and we used to go up, and he would give me the stick, and I'd fly around. I have hung out with the number one tennis player in the world, Stan Smith, and had an opportunity. So not Federer, but this is back in the day. You know, the truth of the matter is, truths and lies are part of life. Lies can sound clever. They can even sound like the truth, and yet at the same time be false. You know, it's said that the truth will set us free. And if so, then we know that lies will imprison us. In fact, we live in a world where truth and lies has become gray, right? There's no black and white anymore. It's gray. Have you ever been in a situation where you followed what you thought was the truth and it ends up being a lie? and has had disastrous consequences for you. Maybe some of us are still living with that right now. Maybe some of us are on the path that we think is the truth, and we will discover that it's a lie. This world is hard. We see in the scriptures here that there is one, the evil one, that the world has control of the world. This father of lies, Jesus, uh, excuse me, Satan as he is called by Jesus. Lies hurt us, my friends, but the truth can sense free. And so this passage is about truth. It's about how do we keep a soft heart in this hard world of lies. 1 John 5.20 in the passage says this, And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding, so that we may know Him who is true, and we are in Him who is true, in His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. See, because if you are in a relationship with Jesus Christ, we can be different. We can know truth. Indeed, we can be in truth. 
We can bring the softness of Christ into the hardness of our life. But the truth of the matter is this, it starts with us. Before we can change the world, we must be changed. Our hard hearts must become soft. And what is the thing that does that? It's grace. Grace, grace. So we're going to look at this transformation that this passage is talking about. It starts with us, a hard heart. How do we have our hearts transformed so we don't live like the world? And then it continues to go on to the world. We live in a hard world. How are we supposed to live in it amidst who God has called us to be? And then finally, a hard task. I'm not going to say living in the world is easy. I'm not going to you know, give you a sermon where everything's fantastic. It's hard to live in this world. But Jesus has said, take heart. In this world you will have trouble. But I have overcome the world. And in Christ we can as well. Well, let's look at my first point. A hard heart. We see in the beginning, 1 John 5, 17, all wrongdoing is sin. But there is sin that does not lead to death. What is sin from that passage? Sin is an action. Wrongdoing is sin. In the Greek, literally, unrighteous performing. <clears throat> unrighteous living. Wrongdoing. So what does James say in James 4.17? If anyone knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, he sins. So it's not only how we live, but it's also how we don't live. Where is the guide for how we know how to live? Jesus said it simply. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. You know, what are Jesus' commands? How does he call us to live? To love him. To love one another. To reach out and to have mercy on people. To forgive and to ask forgiveness. To live after the pattern of Christ. And when we sin, sin is an action. But sin goes so much further than just what my hands do. Sin is an attitude. Look at 1 John 5, 16. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that I should pray for that. Now wait a second. We see that sin, all wrongdoing is sin, but we see that all wrongdoing can be forgiven. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us from our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. This is the promise of God. And yet there is a sin that will not be forgiven. Thus there must be two types of sin. One that leads to death. Something in our attitude and one that does not. You know, if you're a Christian, you've heard these verses before and it almost makes one shudder. It seems to be against God's mercy. How can he forgive all sins and yet there's one that doesn't quite make the grave? We see it in other passages, 10, Hebrews 10, 26. If we keep on deliberately sinning after we have received knowledge of the truth, no salvation is there for man, but only just, only righteousness and consuming fire that will consume the enemies of God. If we deliberately keep on sinning, it says, it's a pattern, it's a habit. Listen to Hebrews. Remember Jesus? Anyone who sins against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But whoever blasphemes the Holy Spirit, a person, whoever is blaspheming, it's, a, it's an action, it's a repeated thing. This isn't a one-time thing we're talking about. Will not be forgiven. And then finally, Hebrews 6.4. It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, 
who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the coming age, if they fall away to be brought back to repentance, because to their loss they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subject, subjecting Him to public disgrace. Now we may look at that passage and go, wait a second, these are believers and yet they spurn God. But if you read the context in Hebrews and if you read the Greek, what's going on here is this has been someone who's been in the fellowship. They've actually uh, committed to Christ publicly. They've been baptized. They've taken communion. They've participated in all of the wonders of the church and the hearing of the word. It would be someone who would be here in a church who looked like a believer and yet their heart was not with God. See, there's a sin behind the sin, right? The attitude behind the action. But there's a sin behind the sin, behind the sin. It's not only a rebellion against the law, it's a rebellion against the gospel. What does this mean? See, what it means is someone who says, I don't want to live by your ways, and I don't want to live by your grace. Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. Two statements, repent, which literally means turn around, change your mind, change the way you live. One step of God, which is Jesus as Lord, but then believe the good news. Jesus as Savior. What is the good news? It's not good advice, is it? We get good advice everywhere. Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. The good news is in Christ, who has died on the cross. The justification, the glory of the Son of Man can be imputed to us, that we would not only be clear to our sin, but being seen as sons and daughters of God. Repent and believe the good news. But the sin behind the sin behind the sin is a rejection of His ways and a rejection of His gospel. I don't want to live by your ways, and I don't want to live by your grace. It's continual, and it's habitual, and it's intentional. Of course it would be unforgivable, wouldn't it? Here's the good news. Here's the message. And yet to disdain the grace of the Son of God. He's talking about unbelievers who stubbornly present, uh, uh, persist in unbelief, even if they've been a part of the church. Well, sin, this attitude and this action, has consequences. It leads to hardness in our heart. You know, a world where there is no grace is a very dark world. And we've seen that outside, but the darkest place is in the inside of our hearts, isn't it? A world where there is no grace in our heart brings hardness, petrifying, no love, no looking outside, all looking with inside, a refusal to love and forgive. It leads to hardness. And it leads to death. The path of Satan was this path, wasn't it? The one who was the angel of light, who stood next to God, who was revered as one of the chief angels, and yet his heart was not with God. And because of his rebellion, his refusal to accept, he was thrown to earth and is awaiting judgment in the fires of hell. See, Sin's consequences leads to hardness, it leads to death, and it leads to lies. See, the reason, if you are not a Christian, you start to not be able to see what's true and what's false. You start to be taken in 
by the subtle messages of the world, and you have no discernment of your mind to be able to stand apart. You're in a prison of your own making, and you don't even realize it. You know, it's interesting when I go out into the world, sometimes I'm going out with uh, some of you to a party or something, and I always tell folks, don't say I'm a pastor. Okay? Don't say Because instantly, once they know I'm a pastor, behavior changes. Okay? We've got to clean up our act around this guy. You know, some will say a cuss word, and then they'll change it to a less cuss word. Oh, I meant this. You know? Um, and then I go, oh, I saw you. No! Why do they get, you know, why does this happen? Because I'm some sort of representative of God. And the concept is this, I've got to clean up my act around God. All right, haven't you heard that? Maybe you've even lived that way. Oh, man, I've heard the gospel. I've got, I've got to change. I've got to live differently. See, repent is maybe in there, but it's just changed the outside. It hasn't changed the heart. The heart. I have a friend that I have spent hours sharing the gospel with. He's of another religion. And he gets the law. He gets this concept of righteous living. But he doesn't get grace. And the reason he doesn't get grace is because he doesn't want it. He wants to make this thing the way he wants to make it. By his rules. And the righteousness he thinks he's creating is so far below, just like ours is, from the requirements of God, that this sin will not be forgiven unless he repents and embraces the gospel. So what does this mean for you and me? It means we can look totally right on the outside, to a degree. But if our inside has not accepted grace, there's a hardness of heart that may never be softened. Grace is a gift, but you must take it. You know, you may know religion, my friends, but do you know grace? You may come to church. You may participate. You may be one of the strong folks. You're here first. You're out last. You are a key pillar of the church. And all along, you're putting notches on your belt to say, God, look at what I've done. But in your hardness of heart, your unwillingness to believe the good news, to believe grace, you have not been transformed. God came in Christ to make dead people alive. And so what we must do, my friends, is to repent and to believe. To believe the good news. You know what it means to be righteous in the Old Testament? It doesn't mean to be perfect. It means to trust in the salvation of God. To follow the system of sacrifices, to make atonement for your sin, to trust in God and His goodness. It's no different here. Righteousness doesn't mean you have it all together. In fact, it means you acknowledge that you're spiritually bankrupt. But your trust is in the one who has brought the good news. And so the one unforgivable sin is to refuse forgiveness for your sin. I'll say that again. The one unforgivable sin is to refuse forgiveness for your sin. But to embrace the gospel is to receive God taking out a heart of stone and giving a heart of flesh. My prayer for you is that you have done so. If you do, God has given you a soft heart. But this brings me to my second point because we must take that soft heart and we must go out there. 
You know, this is, you're going to wake up tomorrow morning and it's time to, you know, stumble out of bed and stumble to the kitchen and go work for nine to five. I've been singing that song, actually, Dolly Parton. It's in my head and I don't know what to do about it. But uh, pray for me. Pray for me, Dolly. Okay? How do we survive and thrive in a world without grace? The passage tells us several ways in which we do that. The first is you have a different identity. Not only is this true, but you must recognize it. Look at 1 John 5.18. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but the one who is born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. See, the one born of God does not keep on sinning. Now, the scriptures say clearly that we do sin, but there's a different pattern in our lives. There's a remorse, there's a change, there's a transformation from the inside out. Holiness coming forth. And the reason we do not keep on sinning is because we have a new identity. We've been born of God. There is a life lived in repentance. You know, before I knew Jesus, my sin didn't trouble me whatsoever. You know, I did what I wanted to do. The real question was external consequences. Can I get away with it? But now my identity doesn't allow me to do that. A change in our birth changes our attitude, which changes our action. See, if our heart is changed, that must flow forth in some way, shape, or form in our lives. More and more as we get older. The question to examine is, look at the fruit of my life. Is there some sort of fruitfulness? Is Christ coming forth? And that's why we examine ourselves. We are in this hard world, but we are born again and have a soft heart in a hard world. We have a different identity. But we also have a different power. Notice again in 5.18, but the one who is born of God <coughs> protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. This has been challenging to hermeneutical scholars, but you should read it like this. But the one, comma, who has been born of God, God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. It's God who protects those people. No rocket science there. You see, the evil one, who has power in the world, wants to harden our hearts. And yet, God protects us. He surrounds us. Satan cannot have you. If you don't believe in Satan, by the way, turn on the TV tonight. Satan is alive and well on planet Earth, my friends. Go around the world and spend time. The evil one exists, and he has power. But the only thing Satan can do to believers is deceive. He's the father of lies. He's that roaring lion who's around on the perimeter, seeking to scare, seeking to beguile. And if left unchecked, he can do so. But we can stay soft, even in a hard world, because grace has the power to overcome evil. We have power to live. A new way of living we can bring into this world because we have a different power. We have a different identity, we have a different power, and finally we have a different truth. 1 John 5, 20, and we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true in His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. See, Jesus has said, I will not only protect your body, I will protect your mind and your soul. And I will give you understanding. 
1 Corinthians 2.12, we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. See, we have the power to know Him who is true, to be Him who is in true, to understand, to be able to see through this hard world to the realities of life. There's a huge difference, my friends, between knowledge and wisdom. You know, knowledge is unbelievable right now. If I wanted any fact, I could get on my iPad and within seconds pretty much get anything I wanted to. Remember the World Book, by the way? Mm -hmm. Yeah, a whole tome of World Books. You know, those things are lining the wastebasket now, aren't they? We can get knowledge, but we can have all this knowledge and not have any understanding. You know, half the PhDs, three-quarters of the PhDs, these all have tremendous amounts of knowledge, they have no understanding. If you don't have Christ, you don't have understanding. You don't have wisdom. So the Holy Spirit, if you are a Christian, has come not to bring you truth from the outside, but truth from the inside. And so we have the ability to bring this gospel of grace through our lives, softened by grace, into a hard world. See, we have a calling, my friends. God, who's done a work in our life, tells us to go. We follow in the footsteps of Jesus, right? Jesus who came and had a different identity. Who was tempted by Satan. Give up this right to be the Son of God. Choose power. We'll make you king. If you worship me, all the kingdoms of the world will be you. But Jesus, whose heart was attuned to God, stepped with his identity and he brought love to the world. Jesus lived by a different power. This carpenter, this man, just like you and me. You know, he wasn't, you know, six feet ten. He wasn't this, he was an ordinary guy. You might miss him on the road if you didn't know what you were looking for. But Jesus did not shirk his responsibilities. He showed courage. He showed faithfulness. He lived by a different power and he changed the world. God has called us to live with a different identity, a different power, and to live in a different truth. It's astounding as I go around and talk to people the lies they've bought into. I can recognize them. I used to live them myself. Probably still living a couple of them. People are living in lies. They're searching for the truth. They just don't know his name. And we have the opportunity who have the truth to go into the world and to give truth. And amazingly enough, some people will hear that and will be born again. We are called to transform this hard world from the inside out, beginning with us, flowing to a church community, extending into this world outside these four doors. This is what Jesus did, and this is what we need to do. You know, if you've ever lost a child before in a market or something like that, King's Dominion, you know, one of those things. I remember more of our son at Bush Gardens when he was just a wee lad, okay? And we're in the land of the dragons. Death trap, okay? I don't know if the insurance is on land of the dragons. It's a death trap, okay? He's toddling along. It's been kind of a long day, so you ever see that thing where you're kind of looking at him and your wife's kind of looking at him and you're both exhausted and who's going to get up, you know? And so he turns the corner, you know, and then you both panic. And, you know, I got up, I got there first, and lo and behold, I turned the corner, he's not there. Ooh. Oh boy, there you go. Started panicking, about 10 seconds, which feels like two hours. 
He had just taken another right, right, right here. I found him, no problem. He had no idea what was going on. You know, this compassion and heart for the lost is the heart of Jesus. Jesus, when he saw the crowds, had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like people, sheep without a shepherd. And so God has called us into this hard world to bring the love, the grace of the gospel. And so we must come in gently, wisely, faithfully, to not reject the world, but to live in it as different people. What does your life look like on Monday when you go into your business? You know, church is for Sunday, let's be honest. Monday, it's time, you know? I gotta do what I do to make this thing go. I gotta feed my family, I gotta blah, 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 I gotta walk into the, you know? If you're a Christian, you can't live that way. If your heart has been touched by grace, and you're living in grace, you will see that you are different. That the world, when it squeezes you, and this is not who you are, that you can push back. Oh, yes, I am. That when you are tempted to live in weakness, Christ's power can give you the strength to walk in faithfulness, to stand up when everyone else is bowing down to this unseen God, Satan. And he gives us a different truth. You know, I was with some friends this past weekend. Uh, some of them I hadn't seen in 20 years. Some of them, who we were in Bible studies back when I was age 18, came to the Lord. And as I listened to some of their conversation, in fact, one of my buddies who came to talk to me, I could tell something's going on in his marriage. I could tell something's going on in his life. He's lost. And yet, as I spoke a couple of words to him, a glimmer of hope. Can you call me? Can we talk about this? God's truth overcomes lies. And so we must speak it in our community, in our family. I don't know how to do that, Carlos. That's where I come in. I'm a Maytag repairman. I'm just sitting around waiting for a phone call. And we can get together and we can talk about that. And you can start engaging in our education to learn wisdom, this truth of God. This brings me to my final point. We're supposed to take our softened hearts into a hard world. And friends, this is a hard task. Okay? No Joel Holstein. Okay? Joel Holstein, man, this thing, you know, you do this, you do this, blah, blah, blah. I know he's lying. Okay? Because the world is hard. Jesus said in this world you will have trouble. Okay? And that is why we need each other. 1 John 5, 16. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask in God will give him life. Isn't that interesting? If anyone sees his brother, he shall ask God and God will give him life. You know, we can become ensnared by lies. We can be walking along and not realize that we're walking off the cliff. But in order to see one another, you have to live in community with one another. You have to get close to one another. Real hard to see someone through binoculars, isn't it? Real hard to see someone coming right at 9 o'clock and popping out at 10.30. This is not what the scriptures tell us to do. If you're a Christian, he calls us to live in community because you're not going to make it without the person on your right and left. If we see one of you know, these dinners of six, these dinners of eight, that's exactly what it's about. Start meeting people. You know, this doesn't happen right away. Relationships take time to build. 
But do I have anyone who's looking in my life? And I'm looking in theirs. So I can pray to God and help to bring them life. We must pray for one another. That's why you should be on the men's retreat if you're a man. To see each other's struggles. To pray for one another. And finally, we must keep ourselves from idols. See, the temptation is there, my friends. I wish I could snap my fingers. Voila. But until heaven comes, we take our soft hearts into a hard world. And we live through the grace of Jesus Christ. What owns your heart? In conclusion, what stirs it? What's in the center of it? Is it soft? Have you believed the good news? Have you been transformed from a heart of stone into a heart of flesh? Making the decision to make Christ Lord of your life, and as best as you know how, to walk in His ways, strengthened by the church, you can be a part of transforming the world through Christ your family, your friends, this community, and you can continue to worship, keeping yourself from idols, showing the world and yourself what it means to truly love God. The one unforgivable sin is to not let God forgive you of yours. And the one beauty of the gospel is that God's grace is big enough to overcome your unforgiveness and your stubborn heart and to transform you into a new person. My hope for you and for me is that we would be that kind of people more and more as this church grows. From the inside out, God's grace extended in the four corners of the earth. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for myself and for many in this congregation who profess Christ. That despite our hardness of heart, our unwillingness, Lord, that you awoke us through the power of your grace and the gospel and we did turn and love you. Jesus, the gospel is the hope of our lives. It's the hope of the world. That no matter how unfaithful we are, no matter how far we stray, that you will never leave us. Lord, I pray for those who may not have done that yet, Lord, who may not have made you Lord and Savior of their life, that you would quicken their heart, that they might confess you as their Lord and Savior. And Lord, help us to live this way on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. Help us to come into each other's lives and to remind us and to protect us and to pray for us, Lord, that we may experience the victory in Christ that you have called us to live in a hard, hard world. We pray all these things in Christ's name.